We are continuing on in our series where we're walking through the book of 1 Corinthians, and we find ourselves in the middle of chapter 7, and this is a long chunk of scripture, um, and we're not going to cover all of it um, verse by verse today, and so um, when I read the, the text here in a second, there, there'll be a few things we leave out, but I'm going to cover the high points for us today in this passage. So 1 Corinthians chapter 7, starting in verse 17. Paul says this, Only let each person lead the life that the Lord has assigned to him and to which God has called him. This is my rule in all the churches. Skipping to verse 25. Now concerning the betrothed, I have no command from the Lord, but I give my judgment as one who by the Lord's mercy is trustworthy. I think that in view of the present distress, it is good for a person to remain as he is. Are you bound to a wife? Do not seek to be free. Are you free from a wife? Do not seek a wife. But if you do marry, you have not sinned, and if a betrothed woman marries, she has not sinned. Yet those who marry will have worldly troubles, and I would spare you that. This is what I mean, brothers. The appointed time has grown very short. From now on, let those who have wives live as though they had none, and those who mourn as though they were not mourning, and those who rejoice as though they were not rejoicing, and those who are busy as though they had no goods, and those who had to deal with the world as though they had no dealings with it. For the present form of this world is passing away. I want you to be free from anxieties. The unmarried man is anxious about the things of the Lord, how to please the Lord. But the married man is anxious about worldly things, how to please his wife. And his interests are divided. And the unmarried or betrothed woman is anxious about the things of the Lord, how to be holy in body and spirit. But the married woman is anxious about worldly things, how to please her husband. I say this for your own benefit, not to lay any restraint upon you, but to promote good order and to secure your undivided devotion to the Lord. Let's pray. Father, I just uh, pray this morning that your word would um, help us, it would change us, it would convict us, it would comfort us, it would do all the things that you want to do in and through us. And we trust that these are your words, they are um, inspired by you, and this is how you want to communicate yourself to us, is through your word. And so we pray this morning that we would have our minds changed, we'd have our hearts changed, we would have uh, the way we live when we leave this place changed, our patterns and our behaviors. And we trust that you can do this through your word this morning. It's in your son's name we pray, amen. Um, there have been a lot of books, studies, research done in the area of really focus and distraction over the last five years. If you just look at the bookshelves, if you look at the research, Um, There have been a lot of books coming out and research about how distracted we are as a culture, as a people, and how our ability to focus on one thing for a long period of time is now more difficult than ever. And a lot of it it revolves around technology. We would say that the rise in technology, the rise that, that the fact that we are connected to people that we don't even see all the time through social media and email and all these kinds of things, like it is becoming overwhelming. And it's a distraction from the things that are often really important to us or that should be important in the moment to us. Um, And I think all of us would admit and agree that, yeah, we feel that. We, we, We understand that living in the world we live in in 2020, that we are distracted or easily distracted, prone to be distracted by many things. But we often don't think about 
um, a distraction that is our relationships, our family, whether we're married or not married. The fact that we are in a relationship or we're not in a relationship that we want to be in causes distraction in our lives. And this is what Paul really puts his finger on in this passage with the Corinthians, right? So last week he talked, we looked at marriage, right? He spoke directly to marriage, married couples and talked about kind of the nature of marriage and how we can still um, live uh, lives worthy of the calling within marriage. And now in the same kind of train of thought, this is a continuing thought from Paul in the letter, but now he's going to talk to singles primarily today. We're going to talk about singles, but marrieds, continue to, to, to stay with me. There are, there's plenty for you in this chapter, um, but primarily he is going to focus on singles. And I'm going to talk about primarily what God has to say about singles, but if you're here and you're not a follower of Jesus, I think there's a lot of wisdom that can be gained from being a, um, kind of living your life as a single person from the scriptures today, even if you don't consider yourself a follower of Jesus or are or, or newer to church. So I pray that you would stay with me as well. Let's look at verse 17, this first verse in this passage. Paul says, only let each person lead the life that the Lord has assigned to him and to which God has called him. This is my rule in all the churches. So Paul starts out with a little bit of like a, a thesis statement, a summary statement. This is a rule in all the churches in his mind, okay, coming out very direct here with the people. And he says, only let each person live the life that the Lord has assigned to him and to which God has called him. So not to be distracted by many things, but live the life that God has given you in this situation. And he'll continue. We're not going to read them, but in verses 18 through 24, the verses following, he looks at um, two um, different examples, circumcision and slavery, to kind of make his point here as he talks to singles. Um, he talks about circumcision in, in the sense of the ethical kind of um, situation that people are in and how they identified with different ethnic groups. And then you have, he talks about slavery and slaves in the sense of um, the, the social status of life. He's kind of making a statement there. Now, that verse has been used and abused a lot in the church and church history for saying that somehow God condones slavery. That is not what the scripture is teaching here. First off, the slavery that is mentioned here is not the slavery that we often think of. But even at that, this is not what Paul is not making a, an ethical statement on slavery. He's just saying, hey, some of you are in different social positions. So um, this is not what I'm talking about necessarily, Paul is saying. He's saying you're going to remain where you're at and remain where you are as I give you this teaching about being fully devoted to me. You see 1 Corinthians 1.9. This is a, a verse we looked at several weeks ago in the first chapter of Corinthians. God, uh, Paul says this, God is faithful by whom you were called into the fellowship of his son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. So as followers of Jesus, we have this new calling. We have a new calling. We have a calling to be his people. We have a calling to make disciples of all nations. We have a calling to glorify God um, and enjoy him above everything else. This is the call that we have um, through our salvation that we have in Jesus. That's the calling that Paul is referring to here. Um, and, and through that, we're also given a new identity. We're given an identity, and we're, we, we're, we're a part of this fellowship with the Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. We're united to him. This changes our identity. So part of that calling that we have as followers of Jesus is living out this new identity we have. So Paul's concern here in this passage is not um, that they retain their present social setting or the circumstances they're in, whether they're circumcised or not 
whether they're a slave or free, whether they're married or single. That is not Paul's primary point here. His point is whatever situation you find yourself in, the calling doesn't change. Your identity doesn't change. What God has called you to is the same no matter who you are and what social um, circumstance you find yourself in. And so it's important to remember the difference between really the calling, which is calling to Jesus through our salvation to him, and he is Lord and King of our life. That's, that's one way to look at calling. And the other way to look at calling is more of, a, of a, our present situation. Now, that is a part of um, God's plan, right, and God's providence where you work, uh, what you're studying, who you're married to, where you live. All those are a part of your situation that is governed by God's providence. So it's not like those things are out of, control, out of his control, but they are secondary when it comes to the primary calling to him and for him to be our Lord and to be our Savior. So Paul is saying that um, it doesn't mean you can't change your present situation. right? Like you, can, you, can, you can find a new job, right? Those of you who are students will graduate. Um, you may switch careers, right? You, you may not have kids, and then a few years later, you may have kids if you're married, right? So these things change. But what he's saying, that the calling of a follower of Jesus doesn't change. We always have the same calling, no matter what situation we're in. Now, if you're here and you're a college student or a grad student, this is the, the, the time in your life where I hear the questions like, what is God's will for my life? Or what, he has called, what does he call me to do? These are some of the things that are probably kind of on the front of your mind in your stage of life. And so for you, I just want to say, and I think this is what Paul would say to you in your present situation, is that your job or your career wasn't ever designed or meant to um, give you value and worth, to give you your ultimate value and worth, and to fulfill you um, to a great degree. So don't put so much weight on this, this decision on what you're going to do for a living, what your career is going to be, what grad student, uh, what, what grad school you're going to go to to be a grad student, right? Don't, don't put so much at stake of your career in your job because that is not your primary calling. Now, there's a flip side to this, right? There's a flip side to say, you know what? Like, my job doesn't really mean anything. My, it's just a job. What's most important is the church, God, my family, and the job thing is, yeah, it's just a job. Well, that could be uh, minimizing the importance of your job. Because, once again, it's not outside of God's control and providence that you are where you're at. You live where you're, you, you live where you're supposed to live. The, where you're, the work you're doing right now is where God has you. And is where God has called you to be an ambassador, to be salt and light, to be on mission with him. That is what your job is now. So don't minimize your job, but also don't idolize your job or treat your job as something that it was never meant to be. And I'll say once again, when, when, when we forget our primary calling, or when we um, don't remember that we're called to make disciples and make disciples, we will find that. We will find an external identity. Either in, if I could just be married, my life will be complete. Or if I could just get that job. Or if I could just get into that school. That language right there communicates that you are putting way too much of your value and your worth and your identity on those things, rather on remembering whatever God has called you to do, your calling is to glorify him and to make disciples that make disciples. Let's keep going. Verse 25, we're going to 
move a little quicker now. Verse 25, Paul says, now concerning the betrothed, and that's just a word um, that we would say similar to being engaged, right? It's a little bit more formal back in that day and age, um, and, and oftentimes it wasn't their decision. Maybe it was a family arrangement, but this, this is a couple that is, that is headed towards marriage. I have no command from the Lord. It's kind of the same language Paul gave um, last week in the passage. So he's, he's saying, I have no command from the Lord, but I give my judgment as one who by the Lord's mercy is trustworthy, okay? I think that in view of the present distress, it is good for a person to remain as he is. Are you bound to a wife? Do not seek to be free. Are you free from a wife? Do not seek a wife. And this can also be flipped. to He could be also talking to wives about the same things. But what are you saying here? That, that idea of this present distress that he talks about in verse 26, um, we know it means that things are hard or things are going to get hard. The commentators disagree on, is he talking about um, the fact that the world is just hard? Because it's broken, it's, it's, it's a messy place, and it's just hard living in this world sometimes. Could be. He could be talking about the end times, the second return of Christ, and how things could get worse before Jesus comes back. He may be talking about that. But he also could just be talking about, hey, this is a, this is a, a large city. There's not a lot of Christians at this point in this city. You're now under a new king. Jesus is your Lord. And th- it's, life is going to be hard in this city because you're going to be marginalized. You're going to be swimming upstream in this city that you find yourself in. So whatever that distress he's talking about, all he means is it's going to be hard. Life is hard. Things are going to be hard in the present circumstances. Verse 28, let's keep going. But if you do marry, you have not sinned. That's important to hear that, right? So if you're engaged, he's saying, and you go through with the marriage, you have not sinned. And if a betrothed woman marries, she has not sinned. Yet those who marry will have worldly troubles, and I would spare you that. And this is what I mean, brothers. The appointed time has grown very short. From now on, let those who have wives live as though they had none, and those who mourn as though they were not mourning, and those who rejoice as those who were not rejoicing, and those who buy as though they had no goods, and those who deal with the world as though they had no dealings with it. For the present form of this world is passing away. Once again, Paul may have the, the end times, the second coming of Jesus in his mind here, possibly, but um, probably what he's meaning is that when someone, and, and we all kind of feel this, hopefully, when you become a follower of Jesus and your eyes are open to eternity, right? Like your eyes are open to eternity and that that means forever and ever and ever. And when you think about eternity, when you think about, I guess, the present, life on earth in light of eternity, 40 years. 60, 80, 100 years, hopefully, for some of you. If that's how long you have on earth, that still becomes such a short amount of time in your mind when you think about eternity. So he's saying that this world is short. This world is passing away. The present form of this world is passing away, especially to those who are followers of Jesus. So be careful with your attachments to this world. Be careful of putting all of your focus and your devotion on something that is is worldly in Paul's words. And that, that list there, all those examples he gives, he's just trying to cover his basis and saying, whatever your situation, um, especially that first one there, it says, uh, let those who have wives live, live as though they had none. Right? That seems a little weird, right? But all he's saying is, make sure you're, you're singly minded, devoted, and focused on Jesus. More than your wife, more than your, your husband, right? Your, Jesus should be your focus more than your spouse. So it's kind of hyperbole when he says, Pretend as though you don't have a wife. He's not saying get divorced. 
He's not saying ignore your spouse, right? He's saying in light of the present situation and eternity, where there'll be no marriage, the scriptures tell us, right? Live in light of that. And that'll help you be um, really devoted to Jesus or single, be single-minded in your devotion to Jesus. Let's look at verse 32. And here he's going to talk about the barriers to this, this idea of being singly-minded, devoted to Jesus. And he's going to say it's, it's in the form of anxieties or concerns. Verse 32. I want you to be free from anxieties. The unmarried man is anxious about the things of the Lord, how to please the Lord. But the married man is anxious about worldly things, how to please his wife. And his interests are divided. And the unmarried or betrothed woman is anxious about the things of the Lord, how to be holy in body and spirit. But the married woman is anxious about the worldly things and how to please her husband. Verse 35, I say this for your own benefit, not to lay any restraint upon you. So what Paul's saying is, I'm not, I'm not trying to put, put a new law upon you. I'm not trying to, to, to kind of put you back under slavery. I, I, it's not rigid. He's saying, it's just, it's just my word of advice. It's just some kind of fatherly wisdom I'm giving you here is really what he's saying. He says, but to promote good order and to secure your undivided devotion to the Lord. Again, this is Paul's main point here. That we are un, that our uh, devotion to the Lord is undivided. That's what he wants above everything else, for us to be singularly focused on Jesus. And the other parts here, when he talks about the married and the, and the, the unmarried here, the engaged, betrothed, um, we get this, especially those of us who are married, right? Like when you get married, your energy, your time, your attention becomes divided. When I was recently married, I think we'd be married maybe two months. Um, I was a missions pastor at a church, and I think it was less than two months after we had been married, I went on a trip to Nepal. Uh, our, ch- our church was looking at uh, developing a partnership there. We went on a trip to Nepal, and this was at a time Nepal was on the, re- like, the list that the U.S. puts out that says, do not go to this country, travel this country. They were on that list because there was a, there was a coup happening in that country in the moment. Like, there, was a, there was a group of people trying to overthrow the government. And we were going at this time. And so this brought up all sorts of fear and um, insecurity and doubting that I never experienced before. I'd, I'd lived overseas. I'd traveled to plenty of dangerous places overseas as a single man. And it never really crossed my mind. I had to make that decision for myself and come to the peace. Well, yeah, I may die and I'll get to see Jesus sooner if I do that as a single man. And that was that was the, the end of the conversation, right? Like, I, w- I didn't have people that I was tied to and connected with at that time. Then I met Nicole. Those things got a little bit stronger. I got, became engaged to Nicole. They became a little bit stronger. I had to consider her now as I'm making these decisions. And now we're married, and we have to have some hard conversations. We have to get that will thing in line. We have to make sure that, like, all my affairs are in order before I take this trip. And a lot of people, my, my in-laws, thought I was crazy for taking, like, right? Like, you just got married, and now you're going over to this place, right? And leaving Nicole here. Um, and obviously, everything worked out fine, and yeah. But, but the point is, is I, the insides of me were completely different than just two years earlier before I knew Nicole. Because I had someone else in my life. I was married now. And my attention, my loyalties were divided. And that's a big example, but this could just be common everyday things, right? Like when you, need, when you want to go do something at night, when you're single, when I was a single guy, guys called at any hours of the night, I could say yes or no. I had to ask 
Nobody else. Um, everyday decisions, right? If I wanted to go on a vacation by myself, I could have done it before I was married without even talking to anybody else. I could have done it. But now, okay, I'm married, and so I can't just walk out of the house at 9 p.m. at night and not tell my wife where I'm going, right? It's courtesy to say, hey, you care if I go do this, right? And the answer is probably going to be yes for either one of us. But the point is, is that there's this other person, and then when you add kids to the mix, now you have even more responsibility under your care. So you think of a pie chart, a pie graph, and, and like you have like your job and maybe your, 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 uh, if you're a student, and then the rest of it you can give to the Lord really freely. And now you're married, part of that free time you're given to the Lord is now part of your marriage now. You have to love your spouse. Our God calls us to love our husband or wife. And then you have kids, more of that time in that pie chart gets eaten away. Because you have kids now, and they deserve your time. So if you look at, you only have so much time, you have so much energy, you only have so much attention, and that gets cut into when you add responsibility, especially relational responsibility to your life. So as a married person, there's this tension that we kind of wrestle with, right? There's, there's a tension of, yes, I want to serve the Lord. Yes, I need to remember my calling to make disciples and make disciples, but I'm also called to care well for my family, and to love my wife well. And Nicole is called to the same thing towards me and our kids, right? And, and so there's this constant tension and battle. And I think that's what Paul is saying. Hey, it may be good if you avoid this, like I did, right? Like he's singularly focused on his ministry because of this. Now, on the flip side of this, this can be used by families, by married couples to say, you know what, I, I, I need to spend all my time focused on my family. My family's my most important thing now, and I'm just going to disregard all the other ministry opportunities that I have. That's a danger, right? Because our calling to make disciples of all nations doesn't change when we get married, and that's probably broader than outside of your home. So once again, though, there's a tension there that we have to live with if you are married. Now, Another thing we have to remember here, and last week we looked at it, but Paul is saying that singleness is a gift from God and marriage is a gift from God. They both are gifts from God. They're, that means that they're good things, right? God has called you to get married. That's a good thing. Stay married. God has called you to be single. That's a good thing. That's okay. And especially for, for singles, um, don't let people around you pressure you to rush into marriage or rush into a relationship. Um, whether you should, you should get married or stay single, and there's a lot of anxiety wrapped up in that. And what Paul is saying, that part of being free from these anxieties is being free from the opinions of like the mob, of the cultural mob of, of saying that you have to get married, you have to get married, you're tired of your mom and dad saying, when are you going to get married? When are you going to find a man or a woman? All that stuff. And, and some of you are probably tired of that. And this is the worst in the church, unfortunately. You get some pressure from, I think, culture about maybe being single um, is, is, is odd late into your life, but it really happens, I think, most in the church. We, happen to, we, we have a tendency to make marriage ultimate. Like once you're married, you're arrived. You've arrived in the church. Or you're somehow a second-class citizen if you aren't married. And that is the farthest thing from the truth. And what Paul, Paul's doing here, he's raising the, the value of singleness here. And even in his opinion, he's raising it above marriage. As it relates to the ministry of, to the, to the Lord and to God, he's raising it above marriage. At least in his opinion, he's saying. Okay? If you're single, you're in good company. Paul was single. 
Jesus was single. They poured their lives out for the sake of others. They couldn't have done what they did if they had a family, period. It, it, it wouldn't have happened the way it happened. You have guys like John Stott, who's a brilliant author, mostly in the last, cent- last century, um, in the early part of this century. He was never married, and he was able to churn and write and, and be this gift to the church in his writing. C.S. Lewis was single for most of his life, and we know the benefits we have from his writing. You have um, a, a woman I learned more about this week uh, named Henrietta Mears. If you know who know Henrietta Mears was? She was, um, she was born in the late 1800s, did most of her kind of ministry in the 30s, 40s, 50s, and 60s of the last century, uh, 1900s. Um, but she was, um, went to Bible college and stuff and was the director of Christian education in a church in Hollywood, California. And she um, wasn't ever married, didn't ever have children, right? But she grew this Sunday school class from nothing in 10 years to over 3,000 people. In the 50s or 60s, whenever it was at its peak, people thought that this was probably the largest Sunday school class in the world at the time. This was how influential this woman was. And people um, such as Billy Graham came through her ministry. Um, Bill Bright, the founder of Crew, Campus Crusade for Christ, um, Jim Rayburn, the founder of Young Life, all came through her ministry at this church. And at the end of their life, as they were reflecting on it, they pointed back to her as one of the primary um, of influencers in their discipleship. And you think of just those three, just Billy Graham's ministry, and then you think of Young Life and Campus Crusade and the impact that it has had all over the world. And it arguably wouldn't have happened without Henrietta Mears doing what she did. And, I don't, and we don't, I don't know enough about her to know what the motivation was to remain single, but obviously she took the time she would have been spending as a wife and a mother and gave it all to the kingdom because she was really, really involved in this church and discipled and mentored many, many men and women over her 30 or 40 years in this role. So singles, it's okay that you're single. God values you in your singleness. Paul wants you to hear that this morning. Now, I want to talk a little bit about the motivations for being single. Okay, there's some good reasons, I think, and there's some bad reasons. And I've already mentioned some good reasons. But if you are kind of closed off to marriage or you want to remain single to serve your neighbors better, maybe move overseas to serve in a specific ministry context, maybe take on a unique role within the church um, to lay down your life and really give it away for the sake of others, Um, these are really good reasons to remain single, right? If you're feeling like you want to remain single for these reasons, those are really good reasons to remain single. I think God would say, go for it. As long as you feel that calling and there isn't, um, you know, someone that has come along that you're interested in or that, be content and go hard after the kingdom, right? Now, there's some bad reasons to, or or less than good reasons, uh, some are maybe worse than others, to remain single. You are waiting for the perfect person, not a good reason to, to stay single, right? I had a person tell me once uh, before I got married, um, you may be waiting for the perfect person to come along, and guess what? You're not perfect, so why would they even want to marry you anyway? So stop, right? right? That's, that, so that it would be my advice to you as well. Stop waiting for the perfect person to come along. Um, maybe you're wanting to not get married to give yourself to your career. Now, I think for the short period of time, it, that's, a, that's a good thing to say, hey, I want to focus on my career. I don't want to get married. But if that is your goal long term for the rest of your life, um, I don't know if that's the best motivation 
Because, again, you want to give yourself away for the kingdom if this is a long-term decision. Or maybe you're dating or you're casually involved with someone um, and you're just waiting for someone better to come along. You're kind of like keeping your options open. Bad reason to remain single, okay? Um, Or if you think marriage is going to somehow complete you or you just can't, you're not going to be able to live without being married, bad reasons to get married. And they will come back to haunt you within marriage, okay? Because marriage is, is hard. It's difficult. Paul's laid that out. So you need to have good motivations to remain single, but also good re- motivations to be married. So I want, to hear, I want you to hear that really Christianity was the first world religion to lift up the status of someone that is single, that this is a viable way to live. Before this, marriage was, if you weren't married, you, were, you somehow were, um, you lived an incomplete life, or you needed to be fixed by married people if you were single. But if you hear Paul here, and you see the life of Jesus Christianity completely raises the bar or changes the view of singleness. And singleness get to display this, this, this beautiful fact that we, you're, you're part of the bride and you're, you're, in a sense, married to Jesus because you're part of the church like we all are. And you get to be singularly devoted to your Savior and your King on earth. And it's not a representation of the new creation because we know that marriage doesn't exist in the new creation between man and a woman. Jesus tells us that. Right? Marriage is an institution that communicates God's love for his church here on earth. That's not the case um, in heaven and, and as the new, he- this new heavens and new earth. Okay? So there is value to being single, and, 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 it's, um, and it's really apart from just saying it's a gift. Right? We often throw that out in the church. Hey, being single is a gift. So you should just be content, right? That's kind of the, often the language we use. And yes, you should be content, but it's not necessarily just because it's a gift. It's because all of the things we've been talking about should allow you to be relatively content in your situation. Now, is it okay to want to be married? Absolutely. Is it okay to long to be married and being tired of being single? Absolutely. It's okay. As long as that hasn't become an idol or isn't distracting you, from doing the, 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 the work that God has called us to do. We still have a purpose. It's to be, make disciples that make disciples. That is our calling here. And you, so you can long for a spouse. You can long to be married as long as you're still focused on the work that God has called us to. Now, uh, to singles, I'll say uh, dating. I wish we could just stop and spend a whole lot of time on dating because I think if you're single, obviously you're kind of in the middle of that world. Um, and I'll just say that there is no right biblical view on dating, right? If anybody says that this is the, the, the exact biblical view on dating, I, don't, I think they're wrong because I don't think there is one. Now, is there a lot of wisdom that it comes to dating in the scriptures? Absolutely. We should look to, to the scriptures for those things. But really, the, the main biblical idea for how we relate to the opposite sex is treat everyone like a brother or sister and, and go after Jesus as hard as possible. And if you do those things, you treat all the people around you in the body like a brother or sister, and you're pursuing Jesus, then if God wants you to be married, he's probably going to put someone in your path while you're doing those things to be able to... Now, that's, that's a little bit um, simplified, but the point is, is that the, the overarching principle for dating is love everybody like your brother or sister in Christ. And that's a pretty good principle to follow if you're in that world of dating. So I want to remind us, Paul is saying that whatever your situation is, whatever your circumstance is in life, um, 
It, it really doesn't matter unless you are free and undivided in your devotion to Jesus. That is the most important thing. He wants us to be, be free to be able to serve Jesus wholeheartedly. So if you're in a situation and you don't feel free to do that, there may be some reflecting that you need to do. We're called to make disciples of all nations, no matter what our situation in life is. If you don't have the energy or time, right, that's a common thing, right? I just don't have the energy or the time to fulfill this calling on my life. My question would be, what are you spending that time on? What are you spending that energy on? And we've seen that I think that Paul's trying to get the point. Making disciples and make disciples is the primary, our primary calling to our king. So I would question, what's your calendar look like? What's your bank account look like? Are you giving those things to Jesus? Are those, do those things reflect that you're singularly devoted to him? Or are there other things getting in the way of that? And I know for those of us who are married, especially those of us who have kids, this can be a challenge. I get it. Trust me. Um, but we can't wait till our kids are a certain age to get on mission or to fulfill God's purposes. We can't wait till our kids just, oh, if they, once they get to a certain point, I'll have more time. Because there's always going to be something. Trust me, I get it. I have these thoughts all the time. It feels like I haven't slept in five years. We have small kids. I understand. It's hard. And I'm, I make those excuses for myself a lot in my mind. Some of you are in situations and uh, family situations where um, you're, it's a time issue for you, not an energy. It's time because you're currently in Uber service for your kids, just driving them all over the place everywhere, right? And it can be hard to find that time to serve God. But here's, here's the important thing, though, that our calling can't change. We have to figure out how to bend the calling to make the calling a part of our rhythms of life. Because if we just wait until your kids are old enough, then what you will have taught your kids is that there's something in life more important, namely your activities, your schedule, that is more important than serving and following Jesus and serving the king above everything else. They'll leave home thinking about um, that the life is all about them and all about their activities and meeting their needs instead of learning how to integrate discipleship and mission to the life that you're living as a family. And again, this is a challenge. This is really, really hard. This is, but this is the kind of things we should be talking about. Husbands and wives, getting together, talking about your calendar, your schedule. Are you being intentional to serve Jesus in the midst of your busy life? Because it's probably going to remain busy, but we can't punt the calling that we have as disciples until our kids get to be a certain age or our kids get out of the house. Because part of the role is bringing our kids up to see us integrating discipleship and mission to the rest of our lives. Singles, I want to talk to you for the rest of our time to close. If you don't have time to devote yourself to Jesus and his mission now, you probably shouldn't get married. You probably shouldn't get married. We've done plenty of premarital counseling, and I've done a lot of marriage counseling. And what I see happen a lot is people don't learn to manage their time as singles in you know, the relatively busy life you have in full schedules, you don't learn to manage your time now. And then once you're married, it just gets a lot more complicated. And so the things that usually get dropped are church involvement, um, um, devotion to the, to, the, to the mission of Christ. And so we start pulling out of these things. We pull out of mission. We pull out of community. We pull out of the relationships that we really need at that early stages of marriage. Because we haven't learned how to serve Jesus in our single life before we get married. 
And these marriages end up being unhealthy because there's this detachment from serving and the purpose that we had as singles. And then we get married and that all goes away because we didn't have this strong identity as a servant before we were married. And these are all anxieties that Paul is pointing to, to, to again, just to put those on the table, he's saying, to re, just to be aware of that are going to keep us from potentially living out the calling that he has from us. Now, here's a couple of practical things here, and I just want to speak, um, once again, to singles here. Um, singles, you need to be around married people. You do. You need to be around married people. And you really need to be around married people from about 5 p.m. to 8 p.m. That's the witching hour, Right? Like, that is where life gets really, really hard. Five to eight. Like, and oftentimes, you're not around families in that window of time. And some of this is on families, right, to actually invite people into our, our chaotic world in this time. Because this is where the, this is the lab, right? This is where the good and the bad happen. This is where reality sits in for a single person, okay, in that frame of mind, especially if you have kids, Right? Marriage, we've got to get out of, out of kind of the weeds of, of parenting in our world and think about we have singles in our church that need to be around us. We have singles in our church, college students, who need to experience and see our lives. So what would it look like for you to occasionally invite a single person or even a married couple without kids or a college student into your mess of a life that you're probably thinking? Like, why in the world would I want to expose someone to that? Or why would I want to be embarrassed in that way? But again, it's part of biblical community. So here are some people, single people, uh, for needs of single people, I would say. You need companionship. You need encouragement. You need guides to help you navigate the relationships you're in. Like you're going to be dating someone, and you're going to want advice about that. How's it going? You need people asking you, how that, how's that relationship going? You need commitment from older people. You need somebody to invest in you. Um, you need um, another set of hands to help you with things that you just don't know yet because you're young. Or maybe you didn't have a mom uh, raising you, or you didn't have a dad in the picture raising you, and you need somebody like that to teach you some things, just basic things of life. Married people, here's what you need. You need an expanded perspective. Like, you need your perspective widened to realize, and it's hard. Like, your world becomes marriage, kids, activities, and you're just surviving instead of picking your eyes up and realizing that there's just a whole other world out there that you forget about. And I've had, this has happened recently with college students I've been around. It's been really refreshing to be like, wow, that conversation I just had, I haven't had that in a while. It's really good for my soul to have that conversation with that person because it just picked my eyes up and opened my eyes to a reality that I haven't faced in a while. Married people, you need encouragement, right? You need, some, you need to be around people with more energy than you that have a little bit more maybe passion than you about some things, right? That's helpful in the body, and I know you could use another set of hands, right? I know. I know you could use another set of hands in the home occasionally to help you get through life. So, again, there are, there are, there's a mutual love and encouragement that can happen in the church when this happens. Singles. Jesus, if you're lonely, I'm, I'm sorry. I really am. I, I, I'm sorry that you're lonely. I'm sorry that you um, long for the companionship that a, uh, a man or woman can bring you. And that's a real thing, and I just want to acknowledge that. And this, this, none of this necessarily makes that easier in the moment. I get that. And, but one thing I will say and how the gospel applies to this, Jesus understands. One, Jesus understands because he lived that life. Your king lived the life of singleness. He gets it. He can look you in the eyes and, so, and say, I get it. I understand. 
And he was even, he, he, he was more lonely and more separated than any human being ever was when he was separated from his father on the cross. He gave up fellowship with God so that we could be brought into fellowship with him. He, was, he had his relationship with God severed in some way in that moment for a few days so we can be brought into his family. And that's for all of us in this room. Because I get it, you can be lonely inside of a marriage. I get it, you can't, that can happen. We need to remember what Jesus went through and gave us in the area of community and companionship. He was at the apex of loneliness so we wouldn't have to be lonely, even though I know it, oftentimes it's easy to feel like that. But look to Jesus, turn to Jesus, look to the gospel. I want to close with this. This is from um, a prayer from John Wesley, or really more of a confession from the Book of Common Prayer. And I think this just hits really well with our, this idea of being fully devoted to Jesus. He says this, I'm no longer my own, but thine. Put me to what thou wilt. Rank me with whom thou wilt. Put me to doing. Put me to suffering. Let me be employed by thee or laid aside for thee. Exalted for thee or brought low for thee. Let me be full. Let me be empty. Let me have all things. Let me have nothing. I freely and heartily yield all things to thy pleasure and disposal. And now, O glorious and blessed God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, thou art mine, and I am thine. So be it. And the covenant which I have made on earth, let it be ratified in heaven. Amen. Let's pray. Father, help us. No matter what situation we're in, what our, what our present circumstance in life is, I pray that we would listen and hear Paul's words to be focused on you anxieties and distractions would not compromise our um, service of you, our ministry to others, our fulfilling the mission in the world. Especially in the context of relationships, I pray that a relationship or the lack of a relationship would not distract us from what you're call, calling us to do. If there are single people in here that want to be married, I pray that you give them a measure of contentment. Not necessarily take that desire away. I think that desire is okay. But I pray you would give them a measure of contentment that so the, the, the idea of being married would not be a distraction for them following you and going hard after you and pursuing you with everything they have in the current state they're in. I pray for marrieds in here that even though life is busy and life is full and life is more complex now, as Paul tells us, once we're married and once we have a family, we still have a calling and a devotion to you above everything else. So give us wisdom. Give us energy. I pray you bring people around us to help us fulfill the mission. This is what community is for in the body. So help us stay devoted to you in whatever situation we're in. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen.